Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code Radio20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival. This is Dana Perkins, and you're listening to Switched On, the BNEF podcast. At the beginning of every year, several of BNEF's teams publish their Things to Watch research notes for the year ahead. In addition to our weekly episodes on this show, in January, we're going to be sprinkling in a few shorter bonus shows, and they will focus on some of these Things to Watch. Hopefully, they'll be as fun for you to listen to as they were for our team to write and then record. Because these shows are really a chance for our team to digest everything that happened in 2023 and think about what all of this means for the year ahead. To kick off our series of Things to Watch shows, today I am joined by BNEF's Head of Advanced Transport, Colin McCarricker, and he talks to us about electric vehicles and clean transport in 2024. We discuss the biggest electric vehicle manufacturers in the world, Tesla and BYD, and which one could come out on top for car sales during the year ahead. We also talk a bit about the United States and whether crossing the 1 million EVs sold mark in 2023 will or won't mean new milestones met in 2024. And we'll discuss whether developing markets will be taking advantage of cheaper electric vehicles. And finally, we turn to oil demand and whether we expect to see significant demand destruction from transport owing to electric vehicles. To access the research note that our team wrote titled EVs and Clean Transport 10 Things to Watch in 2024, BNEF subscribers can find them at bnf.com or at BNF Go on the Bloomberg Terminal. If you like this podcast, if you subscribe or give us a review, it'll help make us more discoverable by others. But right now, let's jump into our conversation about 2024 for electric vehicles and transport with Colin. Colin, thank you for joining us again today. Thanks, Dana. Great to be here. We are here at the beginning of the year. It is still January, and we're talking about EVs and clean transport, 10 things to watch in 2024. Now, how many years running have we been doing a things to watch note for the clean transport space? So we've had a broader Bloomberg one since BNEF was founded. There's been one. But for transport, we've just been doing it since 2016. And that was because I liked what we were doing company-wide. And I decided actually we should start doing one on, first it was just on electric vehicles. And then as our scope has expanded to include other parts of transport, we've started adding predictions in on that as well. Everybody likes a good predictions note. But I would actually say this is just as much looking back and digesting really what happened in the previous year. I want to know, how do you rate your scorecard for your 2023 predictions? Yeah, I mean, this is one of the things that we think is we've always said is really important is you have to go back and see what did you actually get right? Otherwise, you sort of don't really absorb the learnings from it. And you see lots of groups make prognostications, but not actually come back and revisit them. So we, we, what we do is we go and say, okay, we pull in all the data at the end of the year and we say, look, what did we get right and what did we get wrong? And then across the group, we try and give ourselves a score uh, on each one of the 10 predictions we made. So just as an example, last year, we predicted 14 million EVs sold. We're still tabulating a bit of December data, but it looks like that's going to be within about 1% uh, of the actual total. So there we'd give ourselves 10 out of 10, right? We'd give ourselves a pat on the back and say we did that well. 
there's a couple other good predictions. There's some that didn't go as well. So we we also had one around battery prices. We thought this time last year, we thought raw material prices might stay higher for longer. Battery prices would stay kind of elevated the way they were in 2022. But in fact, they dropped really sharply in 2023. So down 14%. So in that case, we gave ourselves zero out of 10. So overall, we th- I think our predictions end up coming out pretty good, but there's always one or two misses. And I think that's kind of the point, right? You don't want to only predict safe things or predict things that are so generic that you can't really test them. So we try and have quantifiable, testable things that we're making predictions on because that's part of the value and it's also part of the fun of it too. Yeah. I mean, it's interesting to actually see what does end up happening. And also, if you're surprised by it, surely there are other people out there who are surprised by it in the industry itself. So let's let's jump right into some of these predictions. So in 2023, passenger EV sales actually broke the 1 million vehicles sold mark. Do we see this momentum continuing in the U.S. in 2024? Because one of the things we also talked about on the show is that U.S. auto manufacturers have started to temper their production. Yeah, this was the US is probably the most the trickiest region to forecast this year. And yeah, they broke a million with a few months to spare. So they're well over a million for the year, around 1.4 million plug-in vehicles sold in the US last year. We think they're going to keep growing uh, up to around somewhere between 1.8 and 1.9 million. But I would say the US is the region where we're, we're the most uncertain. And that's because of multiple factors. One of them is that this incentive that's available in the US, the tax credits, it's significantly harder to access them this year. Because um, that's, that's because there's this foreign entities of concern guide that um, restricts the number of uh, models that are going to be eligible as well as the existing caps on income and caps on retail price. So there's a lot fewer models that are available for incentives, at least at the federal level. And then the on the pushing on the other end of that is those incentives in the US are now available at the point of purchase instead of at the end of the tax year like they've previously been or at the end of the calendar year like they've previously been. So I think that's where we're, we had a bit of trouble calling it. And then you do see something from the established automakers like Ford and GM where they're saying, look, actually inventory levels are pretty high. They've downgraded their, their where they think their their targets are going to land and pushed back their, their manufacturing ramp up plans a bit. But on the other side of that, then you see groups like Hyundai, Kia selling really well, Tesla selling really well. Tesla is about 4% of the overall US auto market right now. And the US auto market is quite fragmented. So that's actually quite a, a decent share ahead of groups like BMW and others. So it's a tricky one right now. I, I do think the biggest thing I would say about the US market is it will have an outsized impact on the headlines that you see written about the global EV market, but it's not the most important region for the global EV market. It's going to be about 11% of global EV sales this year, um, the US. And the US share of the global EV market has declined almost every year for, for the last decade. So really, that's reflecting much more rapid adoption in places like China and Europe. Well, so let's talk about that. Tesla and BYD. So the U.S. and China specifically, you know, at the end of 2023, Tesla delivered this Cybertruck that people have been waiting for for some time now. And at the same time, BYD has been making headlines because they have also been growing. We're already a very significant player in Asia, but have expanded further. So how are these two companies positioned, I guess, versus one another in terms of growth? and who will be the dominant EV auto manufacturer next year. Yeah, I think it's probably going to go to BYD this year. So um, we we actually predicted that in 2023 that BYD would edge out Tesla as the largest seller of battery electric vehicles at the end of 2023. And that is pretty much what happened in the final quarter. BYD edged them out. And I think they will continue to have an advantage there. And that's really because 
they've spent a lot more time in the last few years launching new models in many different price segments, whereas Tesla still has quite a limited model range. And those models that it sells, particularly the Model Y and the Model 3, do extremely well. So it's not to take anything away from those, but they are all at a minimum price point that is higher than the average price point of BYD. And so while BYD has been pushing into all these different segments and pushing down all the way down to sort of an $11,000 car that it can sell in emerging economies, Tesla, the Cybertruck is going to be a, a relatively low volume vehicle for, in our view, this year. And Tesla just doesn't really have anything at that entry level in the market where a lot of the volume sits, especially in countries outside the, of North America and Europe. So I think BYD is probably going to edge it. BYD is probably going to be ahead of Tesla this year for the whole year. But I think what's most important to recognize is that these two companies are way ahead of everyone else. So they're miles ahead of all of the legacy automakers. So we can get a bit fixated on this race between at the very top. In some ways, it doesn't matter. You would just say there's two breakout winners. They're beating everyone. And then everyone else is a long way back. And you can also look at it in different ways. You can look at volume. You can look at profit generated. There's different ways to cut this. But certainly, uh, we see a gap opening up at the top between those two and everyone else. Okay, so let's stick on one of these. So BYD, one of the things they've done is actually taken over a Ford plant in Brazil. What does this really signify? What does it tell us about growth markets and developing economies in terms of electric vehicles? Yeah, I think it's a fascinating case study. So you look at a lot of the places BYD is planning on expanding to, they do have a plant that they're going to build in Eastern Europe, but a lot of the places they're going to expand to are in emerging economies. And if you look at the portfolio of vehicles they have, they have all these EV models that are in this kind of 10 to 15 to $20,000 range, which are much cheaper than the vehicles you see on average in North America and Europe, but really appealing to an emerging market buyer. And that place, that plant in Brazil is really fascinating because it used to be a Ford plant and Ford pulled out a few years ago from Brazil. And there's sort of this, I mean, you don't want to overdo the symbolism too much, but the idea of like a Western automaker, not fully pulling out of Latin America, but pulling out of that plan, pulling out of, uh, out of there and BYD coming in, taking it over, relaunching with a whole bunch more investment. It's kind of emblematic of a, of a broader shift in, in the overall auto industry. And that's that Chinese automakers are about to have their moment. They have been building towards this for a long time. They've been building up the know-how and they are exporting more vehicles now than the Japanese. They overtook Germany two years ago, overtook Japan last year. Uh, we think they'll be ahead of, of, of Japan again this year. And so I think there's a really fascinating thing to watch there on these emerging economies, because there is still this narrative that EV adoption is primarily a wealthy economy thing. And there's some truth to that now. But if you look at the vehicles that the Chinese automakers are launching, many of them are not premium high-end vehicles. They're, they're ones that are very much aimed at average buyers. Uh, and so I think um, we're going to be watching that quite closely. We're expecting almost a million EVs sold in places like India, Southeast Asia, LATAM, other other emerging economies this year, which is just quite a jump versus where we've been in other other years before. I mean, this is a story about expansion, but really one of the themes that ran across all of 2023 was supply chain disruption, not just, by the way, for transportation, but for a number of the different industries that we cover at BNEF. We're talking about higher material costs and higher interest rates. Where do you see that going in 2024 as it relates to the transport space? Do we foresee a more stable environment for auto manufacturing? So what kind of happened through last year is that raw material prices started out high and then they really plummeted. So they were already sort of turning this time last year and then they really went further. So lithium, cobalt, nickel, these things way, way down. And so when we looked at the battery prices this year, they were down 14% on average and, and in some cases down significantly more than that. And that's for lithium ion battery packs. So that's really reflecting a couple things. One of them is this drop in raw material costs. Another one is just intense price competition between manufacturers because they have built a lot of manufacturing 
manufacturing capacity. And again, really driven out of China. So some quick number crunching we did this at the end of this year was that China produced enough batteries to more than supply all of the world's EVs and all of the world's stationary storage deployed in 2023. So just just produced in China significantly more um, than was needed globally. So that that just kind of gives you an, a sense of how competitive this market is. And that's sort of part of one of the reasons we saw those declines. I think on the supply chain, the really interesting story that I would take out of last year and that I think will continue into this year is this tension between localization and on one side and then cost reduction and deployment on the other. So for most of the last decade, we've been talking about how do we get this stuff deployed really quickly? And now increasingly, we're saying, we're talking about, okay, but we also want it made locally. We also want it made in Europe. We also want it made in North America, not just the cheapest. And that's, those two things are sometimes at odds with each other, right? Sometimes the cheapest way to do it would be to import it from the cheapest producer, which is, is still China right now. So I think those, all that effort to try and localize supply chains in the long term will be a very positive thing. But in the short term, I actually think it's driving up costs and, and in some ways going to slow down deployment. So this is kind of where we got a bit uncomfortable with this year is there may be some real hiccups this year around deployment and we could even see sales be significantly lower than we thought. But that's the number we went out with that sort of 16, about 17 million headline number. Um, We'll see where it lands. Yeah, we'll see your scorecard this time next year. Let's talk about some of the implications for other industries. So specifically oil, how much oil demand is being destroyed by electric vehicles becoming more popular? Yeah, this is one of those things that's probably, it's been hyped a bit too early in some ways. So you go back a few years and everyone's talking about how there's stories about EVs and and peak demand. And if you look at the impact, it was pretty modest so far, really. It's it's a relatively modest amount of displacement. But that's really going to start to change this year. And so there's about 57 million EVs on the road by the end of this year. That's going to be about 4% of the passenger vehicle fleet. And if you just break down where oil consumption goes, road transport is still the largest source of oil demand. And passenger cars are still the largest source of oil demand within road transport. So there's sometimes said, oh, no, the really important thing is plastics or aviation. And those are important for growth. But in absolute numbers, displacement from passenger cars is where the biggest chunk of oil demand is, or, or that's where the largest absolute share of oil demand comes from. So what we're what we're kind of watching right now is internal combustion engine vehicle sales are still down about 20% from their 2017 peak. They're significantly off that peak. We think they peaked in 2017 and are in terminal decline. We've been saying that for a long time or long-term decline. There might be bumps upward or downward here and there. And that 2017 peak is starting to flow into the fleet. So there's a big lag between what happens on sale, new sales and the fleet. So it's not going to turn the corner anytime immediately, but we think broadly the fleet of internal combustion engine vehicles starts to sort of plateau in the next few years. And those vehicles are also more efficient than the ones that were sold 20 years ago or 15 years ago, the ones that are being retired. So all that together means we think that there is a start to become a material impact from electric vehicles this year on oil demand. Now, most of the displacement that we've had historically from electrified electric vehicles has been on the two and three wheeler segment. That's been relatively stable. That's because China deployed a huge number of these over the last decade. But now passenger vehicles will start to play a material role. So by the end of this year, we think passenger vehicles will be displacing a little over 600,000 barrels per day of oil demand. That's relatively small, still against uh, over 100 million barrels per day uh, of oil demand. But if you think about what is the additional demand going forward in, in the 2020, in the second half of the 2020s here, 
that starts to be quite material because the annual additions to oil demand are, are starting to, to decrease. There's this, been this COVID rebound. We think they're going to start to decrease next year. So then that effect from EVs becomes more visible because it's not being overwhelmed by a bigger increase. So I think you're going to start to see more groups kind of acknowledging that. Like I said, I think the hype on this was a bit early, but I think that starts to play in, in a real way now. And the place to watch there is China. So China has about 7% of the vehicle fleet is now electric. Um, Sinopec has said that it thinks gasoline demand has already peaked in the country and that it's long-term decline from here. We overall think the road fuel demand globally is still going to rise for a couple more years till around 2027. Um, and then it's a bit of a plateau before it starts to come down more sharply in the 2030s. But I think what we're flagging with this prediction is that this is the year that actually marks real materiality for the energy that's consumed and, and displaced from, from EVs. And if we're not putting oil in the vehicles, we're putting electricity in, which then brings us to charging networks, which we have talked about on this show. And, you know, one of the themes across 2023 was grids and whether or not grids can handle all of the additional demand all the, on them, as well as all of the new renewable energy in producing infrastructure on the other end. When it comes to charging infrastructure, which really helps with actually getting these vehicles on the road, what is the outlook for public chargers? So you're going to see a lot more charging infrastructure built next year. We think there's about 1.2 million public charging connectors. So not stations, but individual outlets, public chargers that is installed in 2023. So that brought the total to just under 4 million, which incidentally is where we predicted it would be. Uh, I think we said 4.1 million and it came out at 3.9 or something. So pretty good there. Um, we think it's going to be about 1.6 million this year. Now, it's important to recognize there that this doesn't mean charging is solved everywhere. It's going in much faster in some places than others. So China is installing more public charging than the rest of the world combined. And when it comes to ultra fast or other types of fast charging, it's that ratio is even more than that. So there is going to be a lot more chargers go in, but I think you're still going to see charging as a as a challenge and as a barrier, particularly in the US, where some of the chargers that are in there are not especially reliable. And I think what we're seeing kind of globally is a very uneven picture on the degree to which people trust the charging infrastructure and should trust the charging infrastructure, to be honest. So the other thing is that the public charging networks are starting to be pretty big dispensers of electricity. When you look at the total demand for electricity that is going to come from public charging, so we have EV charging in China representing the same amount of total electricity consumption as a sort of small to mid-sized country. Uh, and last year, we think it was about the same as all of Ireland. So we'll keep we'll keep going with these country comparisons to hopefully make it a bit more tangible to people who don't um, think in, in terawatt hours. Hi, I'm Ron Kraszewski, Chairman and CEO of Stiefel. Financial Advisors, if you're not growing your practice, you're losing market share. Stiefel is a growing entrepreneurial, advisor-centric firm built for successful advisors like you. Imagine having the resources of the largest wirehouses and the support of the boutique shops, but none of the bureaucracy to get in the way of you serving your clients. At Stiefel, it's your business, your book, your clients. I always tell the advisors we're recruiting, I want you to come to Stiefel and double or triple your business. Most of them laugh and shake their heads, but I'm serious. Don't take it from me. Take it from Stiefel's number one finish in J.D. Power's 2023 U.S. Financial Advisor Satisfaction Study. So there's a reason why 148 financial advisors joined Stiefel last year. Come join us and find out why Stiefel is the firm where success meets success. Visit www.choosestifel.com. Stiefel Nicholas and Company Incorporated, member SIPC and NYSE. The countdown has begun. From May 14th to 16th, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Carter Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg. Join heads of state, 
influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections, gain unique insights and uncover valuable opportunities in one of the world's most rapidly rising regions. Request your invite for this exclusive event at QatarEconomicForum.com. So, Colin, you and I are about to head to California for uh, our summit that is in San Francisco, which is specifically focused on the transport space. One of the areas that has been tricky for zero emissions vehicles across the board has been in the medium and heavy duty vehicle space. And in California, they are soon to implement the Advanced Clean Truck Legislation, which is abbreviated as ACT, and the Advanced Clean Fleets Rules, ACF. What do you think is going to happen then in terms of commercial vehicle sales? And is this going to essentially spur that part of electric vehicle transition on? Yeah, it, it, we think it is. So it, there has been more activity around heavy trucks in some other markets, but the U.S., it's been relatively slow so far. The ACT marks had changed for that. There are some other states that follow it. Um, the ACT is essentially a quota system for zero emissions trucks that the, the manufacturers who sell trucks there have to meet uh, and the fleets on the fleet side. And we think for 2024, somewhere around 5 to 9% of sales in California will have to be zero emissions for in the heavy and medium truck segment to, to meet that. And it depends a bit on the segment, but that's sort of an overall, it's, it's not a bad guideline number. And that's a big jump up from where we've been in the, la in the last few years. So there is going to be a big surge, we think. We know a lot of groups have been preparing for that. There's also been a lot of lobbying and maneuvering behind the scenes on this. So some of the groups that might make more publicly supportive statements behind the scenes have been, have been lobbying against some of the provisions of the ACT. So it's like any other policy around vehicles. There's sort of this fight between the regulators and, and the manufacturers, most of whom are not that keen on being pushed into new drivetrain types. But also, as with passenger cars, you've got some that are, are going down that path as pure plays and, are, and are, are happy to keep pushing things forward. And this does create a significant opportunity for them. So I think we're going to see a big jump there. And, and you're going to hear a lot more about charging big trucks, about fleets going electric, and just about the major cost savings that can be available in terms of fuel costs. Because you've got to remember, for some of these fleets, fuels is a big part of the cost. And if they can get more EVs into their fleet, because most of them are going to EVs, there'll be some hydrogen fuel cell vehicles in there too, but most of them are going to be EVs. They can can significantly cut their cut their operating costs. So I think you're going to hear more about both the challenges and the success stories that, that come from that. Now, pivoting away from the electrification of fleets, but still in decarbonizing, let's talk a little bit about airlines and shipping, where electrification isn't necessarily going to be the most obvious path forward. It's in these kind of sustainable aviation fuels and cleaner burning fuels. With a number of shipping and airlines looking at emissions reduction, is there going to be enough clean fuel to meet demand? And what does 2024 hold? Yeah, this is a this is an important point. And it may seem like a bit of an abrupt pivot when we talk about from cars to ships and planes. But one of the things you have to realize is the the ways to decarbonize these things are linked. And one of the reasons they're linked is that there is a scarcity of supply to decarbonizing some of the hardest things. And those things are things like shipping and aviation. So a big part of the reason you need to push hard on electrifying the things you can electrify is because there's going to be really intense competition for the supply of those liquid renewable fuels for things like shipping and aviation. So that's kind of why they're linked. And in our view, it doesn't make sense to do anything other than electrify, at least in terms of the most efficient route to getting there in terms of decarbonizing passenger cars. That's that's by far the most cost effective and and efficient way of, of, of getting there. So on the fuel side, yes, what we're starting to see is this competition shaping up between the shipping sector and the uh, aviation sector 
for supply of some of those clean fuels that can be used either directly or to make sustainable aviation fuel through a different conversion pathway. And we've actually, we track every um, offtake agreement between an airline and uh, a fuel producer of, of sustainable aviation fuel. We've tracked a hundred of those deals since 2019. We have a database on this. If anybody wants to see it, we've got quite a bit of coverage of this now. And that amounts to the total amount of purchase, about 37 billion liters. Uh, and that looks like an amount that can be supplied. But the point is, is that not everyone's entered the market yet. So more, what we're expecting to see is more and more groups saying, look, we're trying to purchase sustainable aviation fuel, but we can't necessarily find the supply, the reliable supply to do that. And I think that's where you're going to see this sort of intense, this competition ramp up between the shippers and the aviation sector. And so far, what we're seeing is the aviation sector is jumping out ahead. So they're the ones signing many more of these deals. There is some activity on the shipping side, but it's generally much smaller. And that might just be because those are less consumer-facing brands than, than airlines are. But the pressure is going to start to come on them too. So I think you are going to see this continued competition. And, and that's going to probably be a good thing for catalyzing more supply to help these other harder to abate sectors decarbonize as well. Well, Colin, thank you for joining today and talking through some of the points that came out of 10 Things to Watch. And we'll have you back to give us a scorecard. And certainly we'll be digging in on a number of these topics with members of your team throughout the course of this upcoming year. Thanks, Dana. And yeah, we will definitely revisit them. There's no point in doing these things if you're not accountable on them. So looking forward to joining in a year's time and we can score them and see how we did. Bloomberg NEF is a service provided by Bloomberg Finance LP and its affiliates. This recording does not constitute, nor should it be construed as, investment advice, investment recommendations, or a recommendation as to an investment or other strategy. Bloomberg NEF should not be considered as information sufficient upon which to base an investment decision. Neither Bloomberg Finance LP nor any of its affiliates makes any representation or warranty as to the accuracy or completeness of the information contained in this recording, and any liability as a result of this recording is expressly disclaimed. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code RADIO20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival.